Good morning, Firewall family. Well, as you can see, we had an amazing VBS this last week. We averaged 48 kids a night. We had 54 volunteers sign up. And we changed lives this week. Thank you all for your time this last week. It was exhausting, but it was worth it. We planted seeds in all these lives. Um, thank you for those who brought food for the volunteers. We were well nourished this week. Thank you for the donations that you provided for the week. Um, it's a blessing. For me, it's exhausting, but by the end of the week, it's just so amazing. God always shows up, always. Um, I have notes. <laughs> um, so for our fundraiser this year, we raised funds for our missionary family, the Bakers. They're in Mexico, and we raised $558. Yeah, the kids were very generous. So um, there are four ladies. They're not, I won't call them up here because they won't be happy with me, and then they won't help me next year. Um, Crystal Clark, Aaron Bender, Amy Lumpkins, and Lindy, Lindsay Savage. They made this week work. We've been meeting since January to plan for VBS, and we will start again in September for next year. So I couldn't have done any of this without their help. I am up here, and then they did. Somebody did this, somebody did this, somebody did this, somebody did this, and I knew it was going to work, and it was amazing. So thank you, ladies. All right, well, now I'm supposed to go into the welcome. Being already up here, I was, you know, voluntold that I needed to do the welcome. So um, we're glad you're here this morning, and if you're visiting online, glad to see you. If you're a visitor, please um, stop at the kiosk on your way out and let us know you're here. I'm going to ask you to find someone that you don't know, greet them, and then greet four other people that you might know. Thank you all.
Good morning, Firewheel. How are you today? Man, we're excited to be here this morning. Wasn't that awesome? The VBS? Yeah? So we're going to sing a song this morning. It's called Glorious Day. Right? I think you guys know it. Right? So there's a part and it says, you called my name. And what's the, what's the other part? And I ran out of that grape. So let's try that real fast. You called my name. I like it. I think it's going to be good. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together, God. We thank you that, man, our church was able to make a, an impact on kids' lives this week, God. Man, just an amazing thing to be able to plant that seed. So, God, just be with us this morning as we worship you. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And just help us to, uh, man, let's leave our burdens at the door and just come to you with a repentant heart this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. 
How great thou art indeed. Good morning, family. My name is Ashby Sproul. I serve as one of our elders here. I also have the opportunity to teach in one of our Sunday morning Bible studies. If you aren't plugged in already, come visit us. We're studying the book of Mark over in the porch. Uh, as you know, we celebrate um, the Lord's Supper communion here every Sunday, not just out of tradition, but because of the significance for the church. And the Apostle Paul recorded that significance for us uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The elements of communion are a powerful symbol. The bread is symbolic of Christ's body, broken for us on the cross. The juice symbolic of Christ's blood, shed for our sins on the cross. I love to quote from Dr. Constable, who says this about communion. In the Lord's Supper, the heart is brought back to a point in which it is entirely dependent, in which man is nothing, in which Christ and his love are everything, in which the heart is exercised and the conscious remembers that it has needed cleansing and that it has been cleansed by the work of Christ and that we, are, that we depend absolutely on this grace. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, we worship you, and we rest in your sovereignty. We are entirely dependent on you for the food we eat, for the air we breathe, and so much more. And we enjoy, rejoice in that dependence, for we are nothing but Christ is everything. Thank you for your incredible grace, for the gift of your Son and our salvation. And we acknowledge that we are disciples of Christ and that we trust in you alone. Amen. You're invited to the communion tables.
good morning, Firewell family. It is good to be with you on another Lord's Day as we are here together. I hope that you all are excited as it's something special. Every Sunday we get an opportunity to be able to join together as the people of God. And so I've not had the chance to meet you yet. My name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the transitional pastor here at Firewheel. Those of you who are joining us online, welcome. And we are so glad that you are here today. I just want to echo and give a shout out again to Pastor Barb and her team for an amazing week at VBS. Can we give them a hand again? As someone who knows all too well all the planning and all the things that it takes to throw vacation Bible school, all of you volunteers, those hourless and timeless times and all those times you came up here and got things ready and prepped for your kids, thank you, thank you, thank you, genuinely from the bottom of my heart. So today we are going to bring our study in the book of James to a close. I hope that you guys have enjoyed journeying through the book of James as I've enjoyed presenting it to you. This is actually our 10th message in the book of James, which will bring it to a close. And last week we talked about, let's start as a, a reminder, as we always do. Last week we talked about suffering. And we talked about having patience in suffering because we saw that James's readers were experiencing suffering at the hands of the rich and the powerful that were exploiting them. And so what did James do? He exhorted them to be patient in light of the coming of the Lord. We see this as a pattern even in the New Testament. We see this as Paul talks about to the Thessalonians as they experience persecution. He tells them about the second coming of the Lord and gets them to think future focused in that way. But James not only encourages and exhorts his readers to think about when God will make it all right, so to speak, and when God will return, but he also gives them two examples that they can lean upon to be able to look to in times when they are, have to endure suffering and to be patient in the midst of it. He talked about the prophets, and he just uses that generally, and he says, think of the prophets. And last week I highlighted two of them for you, Elijah, and I highlighted Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And then he talked about Job, who is the poster child in the Bible when it comes to suffering. And we talked a little bit about Job's story, and we saw how at the end of the book of Job that God basically questions and he tells Job, because Job gets to a point where he questions God and all the stuff that he's gone through, I can't blame him. And then God basically tells him for three chapters from chapter 38 to 41, where were you when I put the stars into alignment? Where were you when I created the world? And he brings his perspective and wraps it back up in saying, if you got me and you understand who I am, then this temporal suffering pales in comparison to my power and to my sovereignty. And God redirects his focus back upon him. So our one true statement from last week was this. We can be patient through suffering because it is worth it in the end. We can be patient through suffering because it is worth it in the end. Remember the rope illustration I used last week as we talked about a little piece of that rope being the temporal time that we spend on this earth. And in the midst of that time on earth, we experience joys, we experience highs, but we experience lows. We, ex we rejoice, but we also experience suffering. But it pales in comparison when we are everlasting beings. Because whether God gives you 50, 60, 100 years on this earth, it pales in comparison to everlasting life that we have as believers in Jesus and what it means when our faith will become sight. So appropriately, I think that James ends his book in the right way. After he just talked about having patience through suffering, what does James talk about? He ends by talking about prayer. And he talks about prayer in the context of various different seasons of life and different things that people are going through. 
So let me go ahead and start by just telling you a brief little story. A lady came to the great preacher of the last century, G. Campbell Morgan, and she said this one thing to, to, uh, to Morgan. She said, I only take big things to God. I don't take the little things to God, she said. G. Campbell Morgan looked at her and said, lady, anything you take to God is little. I like that. And then he says this, that is precisely the case. You can bring everything to God because anything you bring to God is little to him, even if it's big to you. Let me say that again. That is precisely the case. You can bring everything to God because everything you bring to God is little to him, even if it's big to you. So here's my encouragement to you today in our one truth statement, is that prayer is always a proper response to every season and every circumstance of life. Prayer is always a proper response to all the circumstances of life. At the times when there's joy, at the times when there's suffering, at the times when there's doubts and anxiety, at the times when everything seems to be going right. All the circumstances of life, prayer is always a proper response. At its core, what is prayer? Prayer is communication with God on a relational level. And many times I think that the spiritual mirrors the natural, and God uses a lot of natural kind of illustrations to make spiritual points. And sometimes we overcomplicate things. Think about the closest relationship you have to yourself. If you are married, hopefully that's your spouse. So when you're thinking about your spouse and relationally you guys are connected, you guys connect by communicating with one another. You connect by spending time with one another. You connect by sharing the good times and the bad times with one another. God wants to do that with you as well. And that's what prayer is. Prayer isn't just talking though, it's not a dialogue. Uh, not, it's not a monologue, but it's a dialogue between two partners. Prayer is an opportunity for us to communicate our hearts to God, but also to hear His heart. It's an opportunity to be changed by as we express and cast burdens upon him for God. And even though our situation may not change, our perspective and our heart may change in the matter. Prayer is something that we do. It's supposed to be this consistent lifestyle thing, an ongoing conversation with God. It involves both speaking and listening. Prayer is where we ask God to invade the physical so things happen. So we ask him to invade the physical so that the earth may look a little bit more like heaven on earth as it is in heaven. We ask God to invade into time and space, that he would do something in a particular situ given situation. So prayer is really important at its core for the believer. It's a communication thing. We are connecting with our God who wants to connect with us. If you have your Bible today, we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18. Again, James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And James is going to mention prayer. Three specific times he's going to mention prayer and the different types of situations that surround it. And he's going to finish off by talking about the power of prayer. Okay? So let's go into the text, James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. And the first thing I want you to see is that prayer is something that we, that we do in life's experiences. Look at verse 13. If anyone among you is suffering, as he just talked about, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise, is what he says. 
So suffering, remember, we defined last week, describes all kinds of emotional, physical, relational, financial. Suffering is pain or hardship that we experience when things are not going well and the resulting feeling that we have is suffering. When our normal has been flipped on its head and things interfere in life and these situations come up, when we get that bad news at work, when we get that bad health report, all those kind of things, that's where suffering comes into play, our response to it. It looks different for many different people in different circumstances. So he says, if anyone among you is suffering, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to pray. Now here's something interesting, is that in the Greek, the verb pray is in the present tense, meaning it denotes continuous action. So I would better translate it this, if you are suffering, keep on praying. If you are suffering, don't stop, keep on praying. If you're going through difficulties, don't stop. Keep on praying, is what he's saying. Keep on staying fast, connected to God, and allowing him to hear your heart. God knows your suffering before you even communicate it to him. But what we're doing when we're communicating it to him, we're releasing it to him. We're saying, God, this thing is much bigger than I am. I want heaven to invade earth. And God, I need some help in this situation. And we consistently go to him because he is the source. And he tells us to cast these things upon him. So we keep on praying. This is not just throwing up a prayer one time and thinking that it's just all going to get better at that immediate situation. But we keep at it. We keep on praying. When you love a person and you're in a relationship with them, you share all aspects of your life. The good times, the bad times, the joys, the pains. So it is natural for us to speak to God when we are experiencing suffering and when we are cheerful. That's what James tells us. He says, if you're suffering, let him keep praying. If anyone's cheerful, let him praise. We're communicating to God all the time in every aspect of life. That's what it means when you have a heavenly father. That's what it means when you have a God who created you and wants to know you and wants to be in a relationship with you. You communicate with him at all times. And he's saying, I want you to communicate with me in the best of times and in the worst of times. Prayer is always a proper response to suffering. Prayer is always, or praise is always a proper response to when things are going good as well. I would be more inclined to say that we usually are a little bit more inclined to pray when we're suffering, right? When we're in desperate situations, we're a little bit more inclined to pray. But I would say this, I hope that some of y'all, how many of y'all came into this house today and maybe things are going good and you came with a praise on your lips, right? So what we do when we're praising God, it's another form of prayer. What we're doing is we are verbally communicating his greatness. We are saying, thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for being involved in my life. Thank you, God, for being able to work in a situation that I have been praying about. Thank you, God, and praise is a form of prayer. And so do not let prayer be your only avenue when things are going bad. Please hear me. Don't let prayer just be something you do in desperation. My encouragement to you is that in all seasons of life, when things are going good, don't let that praise jump, drip off you. Let that praise just drip off your lips. Let that praise always consistently be in your heart. Let everybody know that God has been good to you. Has God been good to some of y'all this week? It's good to let people know and to be able to express that, that God has been good. 
and that he continues to do good. If anyone is cheerful, means literally if they're happy, if they're elated, praise is on their lips. Praise is a verbal ex expression of adoration, of thankfulness to God. Praise is not something we do in silence. Praise is, ex is, is it's something that we express. It's expressive. And God said, I want it to be on your lips. Praise me when things are good. But also, I will tell you this. Sometimes when things are going bad, all the more reason for you to redirect that to praise, and praise will take you out of a place, a deep and dark place. God will meet you in your place of desperation. And when that praise is released, and when we can thank him even in the midst of our suffering, God seems to always meet us there. And why does he do so? Because prayer is our proper response to all circumstances of life. Look at verse 14. The next thing James is going to encourage us with is he's going to encourage us to pray in sickness, a specific form of suffering. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, these verses have had a lot of ink spilt on them as to what they mean. What is the prayer of faith? What is he talking about when he's talking about elders? What does it mean to anoint people with oil? All these kind of things. Like, what different connotations does this have? We're going to unpack this a little bit theologically because it's really, really important for us. So in verse 14, the word sick means in Greek to be weary. So what it actually means. It means to be weary. It can often refer to, at times, it's translated and used to speak of physical sickness. Other times, it is used to translate and mean also of mental fatigue, exhaustion, kind of just at your wit's end, where basically you are weary and just your, your soul is all dried up. Being emotionally drained. Have any of you ever said, I'm sick and tired? You ever had that expression? You ever get to a point where you just say, I'm sick and tired of this? It's that kind of weariness, when you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired because of a given circumstance or situation in life. It can even refer to spiritual weariness. Sometimes when life beats us down so much, can we be honest for a moment? Have there been times when you feel so beat down by life you feel like you can't even pray? Well, praise God that no for you. <laughs> I'm not judging, I promise. I've had times like that, sometimes like you are so beat down, you feel like you don't know the words to express. You feel like you just don't know what to say or what to pray in that given situation and circumstance. But here's the encouraging thing if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, is that even at those times when you don't know the words to pray, the Spirit makes utterance for you and He's praying for you. What a beautiful reminder of that, right? Is that even when I'm at my wit's end and I have no idea what to say, I know that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. But we can be spiritually weary, we can be physically weary, we can be emotionally weary, we can be weary when, when we're just beat down, our bodies are physically beat down because of the sickness. Sickness is a form of suffering in a way, but it's like you take it to the next level because the weight of it, the idea of this is that the weight of it is crushing you. 
It's crushing you, whether it's physical, it's crushing you, whether it's emotional, it's crushing the person to be that kind of weary. Now that we understand what he's talking about when he talks about it in verse 14, what is the sick person to do? The sick person is to call the elders so that they can pray over them. So the question then becomes, what does he mean by elder? What is he talking about? The elders are those who are responsible for the oversight of ministry, the spiritually responsible for the care of people, those providing spiritual leadership and guidance of the church. That's not to say that elders are the only ones who can exclusively pray for people. That's not his point. His point is, is that when we are suffering in life, sick, in some type of weariness, or physically sick, we should call for those who are spiritually in oversight over us, or somebody who's more spiritually mature than us, to encourage us at that moment when we are feeling at our wit's end. Have you ever had an experience when you've had a person and you just, you just go to them, they listen to you, and they pray for you, and somehow, even if the situation, it's not that you're healed immediately, or even that that may be the case. God can't supernaturally do that. But you walk away from that situation feeling like something's been lifted from you, because that's what the church is supposed to do. The church is actually supposed to say, hey, we have hurting people, and as we have hurting people, we are to come alongside of them, we are to pray for them, we are to encourage them, because this life is never meant to be lived alone. We're to do that with one another as we pray for one another. Sometimes the faith of others actually encourages us when we don't have the faith to exercise it ourselves. And I hope that's encouraging to you. We believe in the power of prayer here at Firewheel. Every Sunday, we don't do it out of routine when we have an opportunity for you to respond and have an opportunity for people to pray with you. We have people every Sunday that want to be there for you and pray for you whatever need is that you might potentially have. If it is physical, we want to pray for physical healing. Why? Because the scripture encourages us to do so. If it's an emotional thing, if it's whatever the case may be, we want to, if you consider yourself to be sick, to be weary in this way, we want to pray for you. And we want to pray for you not as somehow spiritually more mature looking our noses down at you. We want to pray for you because that's exactly what the scripture encourages us to do. We are to encourage one another in that way. So prayer is important to us. Why do you think we instituted it in every service to be able to do that? Christian people pray. They're people of prayer. And we believe that prayer, even if it may not change a situation at that moment, prayer always changes us. And prayer is always the mechanism where we draw our hearts back to God. Prayer is always a means of being able to come back to Him. And that's what we do. What greater way can we show love and support to one another than to pray for one another? But the elders are not only to pray for these people, they are to anoint those who are sick with oil. Now, depending upon your spiritual tradition growing up, you may have done this or may have not done this. I grew up in a tradition where we actually did do this. We had oil, and we would anoint people's head with oil. I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that as far as what we're encouraged to by the scripture, but what does it actually mean? What's the point of it? What's actually happening? Is there something magical in the oil? Are we like, you know, did somebody pray over it and it's like magic pixie dust or something? I mean, is there some, what's the significance behind that action? But I want you to notice something. Is first, James is making an importance about the act of prayer before he talks about the anointing of the oil. The anointing of the oil is the secondary thing. The primary act is praying first. 
okay? So it doesn't mean that you can't pray for somebody if you can't anoint them or vice versa. The act of prayer is the more important thing. But then what is he talking about and what's the significance of anointing with oil? In Mark chapter 6, verse 13, let's see if that works. There we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 13, it says this. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So the disciples used oil when praying for those who were specifically physically sick. So there's biblical precedent to exactly what James is saying outside of even what he's saying here. So olive oil, the primary use of oil and the primary oil we see within scripture was used for a number of different reasons. Number one, it was used for medicinal purposes. So there was medicinal purposes used for oil. But I want you to think back, and let's put our theological hats on for a moment. If you know your Bible, let's think back to the Old Testament for a moment. Oil was often used to anoint things, and when it was used to anoint things, to basic, that means to put those things to separate them. Oil was used over instruments in the tabernacle to set apart them for, God, for use for worship. But oil was also used to signify the setting apart of an individual to become king. What was that, his name? What was his name? The king who was anointed, the shepherd boy who was anointed to become king. David. Oil was poured on his head in order to set him apart for the work that God had called him to. So when we're talking about the use of oil, what is really important is that Anointing the sick person with oil was showing the, how that person was being set apart for special attention for prayer. That's what it is. When we anoint with oil in this context, when an elder or somebody who's spiritually more mature would, would actually go ahead and anoint somebody with oil, what James is really saying is that person is being set apart for a specific purpose, for special attention for prayer. That's all it is. And it's saying that, God, we acknowledge that you have set this moment apart, you have told us to do this in order to make it known that we're asking you to involve yourself in this situation. So what is the prayer that's offered in faith, the prayer of faith? Better translated, the prayer offered in faith. It's a prayer that's offered in confidence that God can and wants to heal. There are two promises in this passage. If you look back at verse 14, there are two promises in this passage. Actually, verse 15, there's two promises he makes. Number one is that the sick person would be saved. They would be made well. Notice the conditional phrase, though. It says that the Lord will raise him up, so it's God who does the healing. It doesn't mean that God is a liar if he doesn't heal every single person. It doesn't mean that your, your faith is ineffective somehow if God doesn't heal every person. Do you know that when you actually read the New Testament, Jesus walked by people who were sick and he didn't heal them? There were times he didn't do that. Why? I don't know. But I do know that that's the case. So when we're thinking, we have to bring the whole biblical story into context because here's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. I believe still that God heals today. Do you believe that? I believe God has absolutely the capability to be able to heal people. I believe that it's not warranted or it's somehow dependent upon me as a person. God is supernaturally the one who does the healing. And I believe that God heals people much more deep than just physical healing. But I will say this, God is in no way obligated to do something because I follow a formula. That's not the way it works. He's not some divine genie in a bottle. 
that I do the right thing, I say the right words, then all of a sudden, poof, he's going to do exactly what I say. That would put me in authority over him. Last time I checked, that's not a place I want to be, nor is it a biblical place to be. I don't have authority over him, he has all the authority over me. But that being said, the sick person will be made well. The Lord will raise him up. God does the healing. Sins will be forgiven. These words recognize that sickness at times can be attributed to sin. Sometimes when sickness does come, it's because of the sin that is in the life of a person. It's not always the case, but we can be responsible in some ways. The ill believer must examine himself before the Lord to determine if sin is the cause of sickness. Take, for example, Job, as we have already talked about. Job was sick, but he was not sick because of his sin. The Bible offers hope to those who are sick, who come and the Lord heals them, that forgiveness would be available to them. Isn't it interesting when you think about this passage in the context of the rest of the New Testament? When Jesus would heal people and do things sometimes, he said, go and sin no more. Why would he say that? Why would he say, go and sin no more, after he physically healed them? I think the point being is because the physical healing reflected something deeper and spiritual as well. And he's saying that, I'm not only healing you physically, I'm healing you spiritually. Go and do it no more. With these promises, God still retains the freedom to do his will and work out things in his way that's best for his kingdom. Prayer can be bring healing. However, prayer... Praying and the lack of healing does not some show, somehow show that somebody lacks faith. I grew up in a tradition that basically said that if you believe that God healed people, and if you prayed and that person wasn't healed, it was based that you didn't have enough faith. That's bad theology, ladies and gentlemen. That's really bad theology. God is sovereign. God, decide, God can heal every person if he wanted to. He doesn't, and, at, and I have to wrestle with that reality and say, you know what, Lord, your ways are not my ways. But that doesn't mean that I don't follow what God says and genuinely believe that he has the ability to do it. But it's not a deficiency on my heart or my faith if God doesn't physically heal somebody that I actually pray that they would be physically healed. But here's one thing I do know, is that regardless of if a person does not experience physical healing on this earth, Ultimately, what matters is the spiritual state of their soul and have they received that healing. And if their soul has been healed, they have received forgiveness from God, then ultimately they will experience the greatest level of healing they will ever receive. I believe God's still in the healing business and that he's still in the business of doing and making his name known. Look at the next thing, verse 16. We're encouraged to pray when confessing sin. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The word confess means to say the same thing. It emphasizes the fact that when we confess, we are confessing and saying the same thing about what the nature of that thing actually is. We're agreeing. We're calling it what it is. We're repenting and acknowledging of specific sins. We're not merely offering some type of confession of guilt. We are saying, God, forgive me for this. We're confessing that to people that we intimately and deeply trust. And we are, because we have that level of relationship, asking them to not only 
as we share that to release that burden, then to ask them to, for, to pray for us that we may experience the spiritual healing as we release that sin. I would say this. To confess, this, to confess sin to another person is a very vulnerable thing. It genuinely is a very, very vulnerable thing. I look at the picture of the New Testament, and the New Testament encourages us to do this in the context of Christian relationships with one another. Iron sharpening iron, that kind of thing. But it's a very vulnerable thing to be able to do that. And I believe that God puts into our lives relationships where we can do that and be brutally honest with one another. And that's healing on both sides. If you have that type of relationship, cherish that relationship because it's healing for both of you. But I will tell you this, don't go confessing sin to somebody who ain't willing to pray for you. Let me say that again. Don't go confessing sin thinking you have a depth and level of relationship with a person to another individual if they ain't willing to pray for you. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this thing where we release this burden, where we show that we're suffering together, and we're just saying, you know what, let me come alongside of you and pray for you, that you may be healed, that God would intervene in your heart. Now, I have a passport, like many of you probably do, and a passport allows me access into places I would not be able to go. So if you go through customs, you go to the desk, and you're trying to get through customs, you don't have that passport, guess what? You can, you can jazz yourself up, you can be ready to go, all packed, ready to go on your trip, you ain't getting stamped, you ain't getting in. But a passport allows us access into a place where we would not have access to unless we had the mechanism to release, if I can say it, or to remove the barrier that would allow us and grant us access to the place we want to go. Sin sometimes in our lives is a barrier. Sometimes it's a blockade. It blocks us from being able to receive access at times to the level of healing that we need that we can receive from God because of our own brokenness. And God wants to be able to do something in our lives, but we have to get rid of our sin. Sometimes we are the cause of what is going on. Sometimes we are the cause of our own weariness, our own brokenness. And when we are not able to release that sin, that's why I think that this is in the context of saying confessing sin and then praying that we would be healed, because confession has to take place. It has to take place before God in order for us to remove the blockade, so to speak, for us to be able to receive divine healing. And if we don't do that, then we will continue to be in a cycle where we are stay in this constant state of spiritual sickness. The church is a hospital, ladies and gentlemen. The church is a place where imperfect people come to serve a perfect God. It's a place where we come with all of our brokenness, all of our mess, where we come to one another and we come and we do this thing called life and do community with one another. And I hope we go beyond the surface level. It's a place where we can build intimate relationships. It's a place where people can call us out on our stuff and have the right and access to do so. It's a place where people can challenge us where we need to be challenged. It's a place where people can encourage us where we need to be encouraged. But all the while, it's cycled under the reality that every single person is utterly and completely dependent on God. Every person. No person is greater than the other. No person is a person where you think that you are spiritually elite and beyond the level of where you can fall. 
And we are desperately in need of one another. The last thing I want you to see is that we pray in power. Look at the end of verse 16. It says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, basically meaning he was human, just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Look at verse 18. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In order to have power in prayer, in order to see God move in prayer, it has to come from a person who is righteous. What does that mean? It means that a person has to have a right relationship with Christ, placing their faith on him, that they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that they are now children of God. God is not going to move in power in the life of people who have not placed their faith under his authority. They have not placed their life under him. So in order to see that, for God to move in power in this way, Elijah was a righteous man. Elijah was somebody who believed in God. Elijah would have not had God move in the way that he did had he not placed himself in relationship with him. People who are in right relationship with God have access to the God of prayer and have access to God's power. You and I can only access and pray the prayer that Jesus encouraged his disciples you know that the Lord's Prayer starts because the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's a model prayer for us, and there's a number of different things it asks for, but when it says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is no way you have access to heaven unless you have access to that God. There's no way you have access to heaven unless if you have a divine passport, so to speak. There's no way you have access to heaven if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus. If you have not placed your life under his lordship and authority, there's no way you will have access to that power. So when we pray, we pray as people from a position saying that, Lord, we are under your lordship, we are under your authority, we trust you, we love you, we're asking that your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we only have the opportunity to do that because we are righteous. And we are not righteous because of ourselves. We are righteous because of God. We are forgiven. And the prayer offered in faith by our forgiven believer is powerful and effective because we have the means and we have the ability to access boldly the throne of grace. You can come before God without an intermediary today. You have divine access directly to him because of Jesus. And because of Jesus and be, being declared righteous, being his sons and his daughters, we then can come before the throne and boldly make our request and say, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, invade time and space in this situation, in my life and the life of another person. And we pray that and we believe it because we know that God hears the prayers of his people. Amen? Let's summarize and close. So our one true statement was this, is that prayer is always a proper response to all the circumstances of life. That means whether we're suffering, as he encourages us right there at the beginning of verse 13, or whether you're cheerful and you're in a season of joy, that praise or prayer should always be on your lips. So every life experience, we pray in sickness, we call for those who are spiritually mature, we call for the elders of the church, those who are in leadership and authority over us to pray when we are sick, whether we are physically sick, emotionally sick, spiritually sick, because we are weary in our souls and in our physical bodies. 
and we ask for prayer. We pray when we confess sin that we may be healed, and we also pray in power because we have access to the throne of grace because we are declared righteous. Only those who are righteous have access to his throne. So here's my encouragement to you as we are about to pray, is that I would encourage you that prayer and praise in every circumstance of life. As we go back to this idea and this one truth statement, this is something that you can walk away with. That even today, if you walked in this place, as I like to say sometimes, with a smiling face and yet a hurting heart, let somebody pray for you today. If you came into this place today and things are going well, let there be a praise on your lips. If you came into this place today and it seems like all hell has come against you, praise through your suffering. Because I'm telling you, there's power when we verbalize, there's power when we praise, when we give from the depths of our soul and we can thank God in the midst of our suffering. It seems to make things better in the midst of those situations because our attention is re-diverted exactly where it needs to be on the God who can invade time and space. But my encouragement to you above all things is to keep on praying. Do not stop. Do not stop. Do not stop. Don't stop. God is not sick of hearing from you. Keep on praying. God is not sick of hearing the same request as you travail and pray for the salvation of another individual or a family member. Keep on praying. God is not sick of hearing you as you are suffering physically in your body. And keep on praying. God wants to talk to you. And he wants you to share all the joys and all the suffering and all the sorrows, the highest of highs and lowest of lows with him. And his ear is always attuned to his children, and he never will drown you out. Keep on praying. Let's pray. So, Lord, we do love you. And we thank you that your ear is always inclined toward your children. And we thank you that you do hear us in the midst of all things and all situations of life. I do pray, Lord, that as we are encouraged and we look at and we think about the totality of the book of James, we come to this ending where... The people were going through tremendous suffering and you encouraged them to be patient as we wait upon the second coming as you are going to return. But in the midst, Lord, as we wait and we travail in that kind of intermediary space, Lord, we know that there are highs and we know that there are lows. But we thank you that you have given us the gift of prayer to be able to release these things to you and to know that you hear us. And so, God, I pray that Firewheel would be a place continued to be known for prayer. And that, God, that you would meet us at our place of need. And that, God, praise would always be upon our lips, even in the darkest of seasons. That, Lord, that we know that in every circumstance of life we can come to you. And I pray that we would not be drawn away from you and we would not believe lies of the enemy that would tell us that you don't hear us or that you don't care. Because, God, you care. You love us. You know us. You, you know everything that we go through. It's all known to you. So, Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we stand in worship, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We're going to have an opportunity to pray and an opportunity to worship. I want to encourage you to engage. This is not spectator time. So engage with what God has communicated to your heart as we have opened the word today. And if there is any among you who are sick in any, in any way, please let us pray for you today. So let's worship.
seated. So if it's your first time here at Firewheel, we're really glad that you took some time to worship with us today. On the screen behind me, there's a QR code that you can scan and fill out some information if you're willing to share some with us. We'd love to connect with you, see how we can come alongside of wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. But also, as you exit the auditorium today, there is a connection center in the lobby. One of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us, no strings attached. We just want to say thank you, as we know that you are taking time to worship with us and see if we can answer any questions about things that are going on here at Firewall and see how we can serve you and your family. We're going to take a moment to take the offering and worship the Lord through giving. But as we do that, I want to just tell you about one announcement. There's no announcement video today, so just one announcement. And on August the 27th, coming up, we are having our fall kickoff and baptism Sunday. So. As you exit the auditorium at the Connection Center area, there is also a sign-up sheet where you can sign up to bring a dessert or side dish. The church is going to be providing the grilled meats. Chris Nelson and I will be grilling for y'all. So we are going to be uh, grilling it up. And so that's on August the 27th, immediately after church. But it's just going to be a fun time, kind of a fall kickoff to all the different ministry that's going to be going on during the fall. But we're also doing baptisms that Sunday. So if you're interested in being baptized, on our website, there is a form that you can fill out for baptism. Or you can sign up at over there in the lobby. And one of us will contact you about baptism. And we'd love to experience that with you as we're going to do bapt uh, baptisms outside. And uh, so we'd love to participate with you in that. So ushers, if you'll come forward, we'll go ahead and pray over the offering, and we'll uh, receive the morning offering, and then pray and get you dismissed. So Lord, you are good, and we thank you that you are the provider of all good things. All good and perfect things come from you. We thank you that we can worship you through giving. We pray that you bless the gift and the giver. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we can give to you just a small portion of what already belongs to you. And Lord, we pray that you would allow us to continue to steward it well, to continue to do the ministry you have called us to in this area. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you guys will stand, we'll go ahead and pray our benediction and get you released. 
I am really excited about next week. So starting next week, we are going to begin a series looking at the ministry, person, and work of the Holy Spirit. So we are going to do a deep dive into the Holy Spirit, probably about eight or nine weeks, and we're going to build the theology of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at all the different things in which he does as far as ministry, why it's important, the third person of the Trinity. We're going to look at a little Trinitarian doctrine and everything. And so I hope that you guys uh, won't miss it. I've done a lot of preparation for this series, and I'm really excited about sharing that. So that's going to start next week, and we'll be in that for the better part of eight or nine weeks. So as we pray to dismiss you, let's pray this benediction over you. May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. You are so loved. We will see you all next week. You are dismissed. What's up?